All right, so I wanted to do a podcast called Clearing Up Shaul. Now, the thing is, is there's not really a, what we yeah, concise. There's not a concise way to do that. However, we can put up a lot of connecting the dots, common sense, and just really kind of tie together some, some thoughts here. So, this is definitely me being a shomer man saying, you know what, Jarvis, sometimes you got to walk before you crawl. Because <laughs> there was a scene where shomer man or Iron Man here was wanting to uh, test out the new suit. And Jarvis was like, you haven't done all your calculations and everything yet. So I don't know if this is a good idea. He's like, Jarvis. And he's like, OK, whatever you say, boss. And so anyway, so uh, not that I'm trying to do anything like that, but. I just think it's important in our day and our time to understand Shaul is a Jew, a Pharisee. He is an apostle, and he is one who points us to the Torah. And yes, contrary to popular belief, he does not negate, violate, or teach others to do so. Because if that's the case, then we need to take our Bible, rip it in half, and just throw it in the garbage. Now, that's a very, very extreme response and action, but that's literally what you need to do if you really think Paul did that. Because if you do think Paul did that, you're clearly not reading your Bible and you're at the same time ripping it up and throwing it in the garbage. Because that's what's happening when you're speaking against the very book you hold in your hands. If you don't like the book, don't read it. But at the same time, as you're not reading it, don't pretend like you know it and teach other people's what you think you know about a book you don't read. How's that for an intro? Okay, Baruch Hashem. So I want to start off with the writing of Kepha, which is Peter. Second Peter 3, starting in 14, literally says, this is my final advice. Therefore, loved ones, while you're looking for these things, make every effort to be found in shalom, spotless and blameless before him. Bear in mind the patience of our Lord means salvation. Salvation is coming from Hashem being patient with us, by the way. Just throw that out there. Just as our dearly loved brother, Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom given to him. Okay, so listen. The dearly beloved or the dearly loved brother Paul wrote, bear in mind the patience of our Lord means salvation. Because Kaif was writing that we need to do that. We need to bear in mind the patience of our Lord means salvation. And he says, just as our dearly loved brother Paul also wrote to you. In other words, Paul wrote you this same thing that I'm sharing. That while we're being patient, that we need to make effort to be found in shalom and spotless and blameless before Hashem. Because salvation is happening through this process. So Mashiach himself said, salvation is for those who endure to the end. Like those who endure to the end, those who make it. To the end, those are the ones who receive salvation. Anyway, 
So he's bringing up Paul. I find it very interesting he didn't bring up Andrew. He didn't bring up Bartholomew or Philip or Yochanan or Matith Yahu. He didn't bring any of those people up. He brought up Paul. Because he wants you to know that Paul is included within the same message. He has no different message. And most of the times when people try to dispute the Bible and try to say, oh, we don't have to do any of the Torah stuff. We don't have to be Jewish or anything like that. We just need to do what Paul says. Therefore, we need to be good Christians and go to church. It's like, well, if you believe that, then you are giving a different message than what Peter and Paul give. Because Paul is lining us back up with the same voice that Peter is speaking with, which is the voice of Torah, the voice of Messiah. So anyway, uh, just something to think about there, because Paul wrote the same things. He's, he's included within that same message. And to take his letters and say, but Paul said this, but Paul said that, you're clearly not understanding what he read, on top of, you're clearly not understanding what Peter's testimony is about him. You're going to throw out the lead Talmud of the Messiah. You're going to throw out his testimony. That's really what you do when you say, Paul said, we can do whatever we want. Well, I mean, besides, I mean, we need to be good people. I know we need to do that, but, you know, we're not to, we're not to eat kosher. We're not to keep Shabbat. We're not to convert to Judaism, Torah, and all that kind of stuff. You know, Paul wasn't a Jew. He was a, he was Christian. If that's your thought, you just uh, went against Second Peter 3, verse 15. But he continues. He says he speaks about these matters in all his letters. <laughs> really? Really? He speaks about these things. What things? Being in shalom, being spotless, being blameless before Hashem. Oh, really? Wow. That's didn't know he wrote about that in his letters. That's crazy. All. Kepha says all of his letters. Kepha's given a testimony that Paul was legit. Now, here's where it gets interesting, because he says some things in them are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist, as they also do with the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. Now, isn't that true? The very Paul said people, Paul said this, Paul said we can remain as we are. Paul said, you know, all we need to do is just abstain from blood and sexual immorality and idolatry, which, by the way, Paul didn't say that. Uh, just throw that out there. Uh, Acts 15, that wasn't Paul speaking. But anyway, um, let's probably go read Acts 15. You'll find out it was not Paul. I know, shocking, isn't it? Okay, so anyway, ignorant and unstable. The very people who have their flag planted in Paul, as we like to say, they're considered to be ignorant and unstable, and they twist as they do with the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. Because you know, you can go up to someone and talk about, man, I love Messiah so much, and I'm, because I love him, I'm going to be obedient and keep his commandments. And therefore, you start keeping the Shabbat. And therefore, you start eating kosher. And therefore, you start wearing ZZ and kippah 
and dressings are nude and all this stuff. And people are like, what are you doing? Paul said, remain as you are. So this one time, Messiah said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. However, you're saying Paul says we're no longer under the law. So did you just twist to your own destruction because of ignorance? Because, you know, ignorance means you don't really understand what the Bible is saying. Because Kepha here leads out with the ignorant people saying that some things in the letters of Paul are hard to understand. Clearly someone's not understanding and clearly someone's not reading. So anyway, says verse 17, since you already know all this, loved ones, be on your guard so that you're not led astray by the error of the lawless. Because usually people who tell you not to keep the law are people who don't keep the law, i.e. they're lawless people. Usually people who keep the law tell you to keep the law because it's biblical. And it's not based off of one person. Which, by the way, if you really think about the Christian idea, 40 different authors, one language, or one uh, message. It's like, really? Is that really true? Because why are y'all using Paul to say... Don't do what David told us to do. Don't do what Moses told us to do. I mean, he's one of the 40 authors, apparently. But he's saying the same thing. It's like, well, if he's saying the same thing, then why are you saying that he's saying a different thing? That's really what's happening. So don't be led astray by the error of the lawless, because those without the law are literally ignorant and unstable, and they twist the scriptures and the letters of Paul to their own destruction. Because there's no way for you to make an educated response to the hard things in Paul's letters. Like the term under the law. What does that even mean? We've never been under the law. Like that's a that's got to be connected to something. Just so happens if you study Purim, which is brought down in the book of Esther or the scroll, we should say, of Esther. You know what that means, because there was this one time that the Jewish people were all about to be killed because they were bowing down to idols and blessing, you know, King Ahasuerosh with saying, hey, Hashem didn't redeem you from exile, so now you should just, you know, come to my party and, and do all kinds of idolatrous things. And Haman, seizing the opportunity to be the agent of destruction, was like, yeah, so let's kill all these people. They don't love their God anyway. They, they're trying to be like us, so we need to kill them because we don't like Jews. And isn't that the truth that the very people who try to wipe Jews out, you know, usually because there's been some sort of assimilation going on, and it's like it's caused this what we've been chasing after the enemy to turn around and bite us, you know? I mean, the same thing happened in Egypt. We were like, Egypt! Oh, our home. We love you. Oh, my gosh. And then they start subjecting us to slavery and killing our firstborns. I mean, what? And here we are in Persia hanging out with King Akashverosh and his wife Vashti. And Haman's like, kill him. Kill him. They don't need to be at the party. They're eating all the food anyway. Anyway, so because of everything that happened in that story at the end of Esther, which is where we get the celebration of the festival of Purim from. It says that the people willingly accepted upon themselves the Torah, the law, the God, the ordinances of God, the statutes, the decrees, and all that. That right there means we're no longer under the law because 
we willingly took the law. It wasn't forced upon us. Because commentaries bring out that when we were at Mount Sinai, that Hashem lifted that mountain up over us like a hoopah. But we thought it was a killing device of some sort. A hoopah, by the way, in a Jewish wedding is beautiful. The bride and the groom, they stand under it, and that's where they get married in, in holy Kiddushin. You know, they get brought together as husband and wife, finally, in covenant. And they're covered by what's called the presence of God. Remember, the presence of God was on the mountain. So if the, the mountain is in the air with the presence of God on it, we're literally covered by the presence of God. The mountain is just a part of the package. It's decoration if you really want to go there. But it represents Hashem covering us. And Hashem was like, I'm giving you the Torah. Do you accept it? And we say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now save me, And because of that, the commentaries point out that we accepted the Torah under duress. So we're literally like under the law in some sort of form. Because it's like... Well, if we don't accept the Torah, Hashem's going to drop the mountain on us because somebody's got to accept this Torah. I went to the nations. They rejected it. The only people who said they're going to do it are the Jewish people. And so being under the law was about tikkuning that whole episode that it should not take a threat for us to embrace the word of God because the word of God is his son, which is the Mashiach which is the Holy Spirit, which is the Torah. Like it's all, it's that, the manifestation of Hashem. So it shouldn't take us being uh, threatened with death to accept it. And so that's why when we look at Purim and the reason why Purim is related to Yom Kippur, because when you say Kippurim, which is Yom Kippur, Kippur, like, like the day of Purim. It's this whole atonement thing because Yom Kippur is when we actually receive the Torah because when the mountain was hovered, we said, we told Moshe to go up the mountain and all that kind of stuff. He came down with the tablets and because we were dancing around the golden calf, we never received it. Tablets got shattered, he had to go back up the mountain again, and then he didn't come back down with the second tablets until Yom Kippur. So the day like... Purim is Yom Kippur because that's when we finally were reunited with Hashem in a covenant that we embraced. Because during the time Moses was up the mountain to get the second set of tablets, we were fasting, we were repenting, we were pouring our hearts out to God, and we were saying, we're so sorry for turning our back on you, we receive you, we want to follow you, we want to know you, and all that. So if we're no longer under the law, that means we're willingly accepting the Torah upon ourselves and we're following Hashem out of love, i.e. grace. So anyway, that's just a, a few things to just kind of throw in there. There's all there's way more content than that. So one of the things I want to pick up with is Shaul was taught everything that he taught. Because, you know, a person who is a rabbi is only a rabbi because they have a rabbi. Okay, there's a, a chain that goes all the way back to Adam. It goes Adam to Noah to Shem to Abraham to Yitzhak to Yaakov to Yosef to Moshe to um, to Joshua to the elders 
to Samuel, to the prophets, men of a greater assembly, and to all their people. And somewhere down that list, you get a guy named Gamaliel. So yeah, so Gamaliel, who we also see in the book of Acts chapter 4, uh, no, Acts chapter 5, uh, we see him in action. But he's he's sitting on the Sanhedrin. He's literally one of the 70 plus one. So the Sanhedrin are like the most ninja get you some type people. So just study what the Sanhedrin is and you'll get that. Obviously, it was corrupt during Mashiach's time on the earth. But, you know, there's still the Sanhedrin. There's still some people who didn't sell out to Rome. Just like in the priesthood, there were some people who still didn't sell out because that's why there was no one there that was against crucifying Mashiach during the day that everybody was saying crucify him, crucify him. Because during that time frame was when people were supposed to be setting up their Pesach Seder. Ain't nobody had time for being a part of a riot if they really love God. You know, like they were like, we got to celebrate Pesach. Like we're not going to go out and say crucify the the one who healed the sick and raised the dead and taught people Torah and whatnot. There's no blasphemy there. Like, why are we wasting time with this? So anyway, Gamaliel is in that chain of all this teaching that's brought down Adam, Noah, Moses, all that kind of stuff. He's the one who is the rabbi that taught Shaul. So... Rabbi Gamaliel, there's like so many different drops and things that you can get into with him. But you just need to know that uh, Shaul studied under this guy. And it says Gamaliel, the elder, or Ramban Gamaliel I, was a leading authority in the Sanhedrin in the early first century A.D. He was the son of Shimeon ben Hillel the grandson of the great Jewish leader, Hillel, the elder. You ever heard of Hillel and Shammai? Well, yeah. So uh, he's the he's the grandson, the great grandson of Hillel. So when we look at Shaul, Shaul is actually basically in the lineage, if you will, of Hillel, the great, as far as receiving that teaching. So, got all that going on, Hillel, Shimeon, Gamaliel, now you got Shaul. So, Shaul, the reason why he knows some of this deep stuff is because look who he learned from. Just like Abraham, he knew what he knew because he learned from Noah. Guess who Noah learned from? Adam. Guess who Adam learned from? Hashem. So just a side note, you've heard of this person called Barnabas. You should know that Barnabas's real name is Yosef. Uh, Acts 4.36 says, Now Yosef, also called Barnabas by the emissaries, which is translated as son of encouragement. So uh, yeah, Barnabas means son of encouragement, but his real name is Yosef. I don't think that's a coincidence because I just got through talking about the bones of Yosef from the Torah portion of Beshalach where Moses takes the bones of Yosef with them as he takes the children of Israel out of Egypt for the Exodus. And it said the word for bones is the same words as essence. So literally Moses had the essence of Yosef with him as he led us in the Exodus. So now you got here 
with the uh, the Talmudim that they have a person named Barnabas who is with them. And it's kind of like it, it kind of alludes to the fact that Messiah said that I will be with you even to the end of the age. So that was literally personified in, in Yosef, who's called Barnabas. I'm encouraging you, you know, like, guys, my name's Joseph. I'm, I'm an encourager. I'm with you to the end of the age kind of thing. Anyway, just on the illusion level. So, Shaul uh, is a Talmud of Gamaliel. You can see that in Acts 22, 3, where he says, I am a Jewish man born. Okay, if he says I'm a Jewish man, he didn't say he was Christian. He had his chance. He didn't take it. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia. I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, Shaul said. And he says, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. The whole thing about a Talmud is they're supposed to be after the dust of their feet. The dust of the feet of their rabbi. So as a Talmud, you should be covered in your rabbi's dust. So that already speaks to the fact that you don't elevate yourself above your rabbi and all that kind of stuff. But furthermore, why was Shaul so knowledgeable of what he knew with the scriptures? And yes, I do mean the oral Torah, because anytime you talk about Janus and Jambres from the scriptures, I mean, that's not written anywhere. That's only in the oral Torah, like Midrash Tankuma and Legends of the Jews. So that's interesting. If Shaul was not a Jew and he was a Christian, he certainly read a lot of Jewish stuff and quoted a lot of Jewish stuff. And you don't read and quote Jewish stuff unless you are doing Jewish stuff. Because as the Pirkei vote brings down that anyone who studies Torah, but they don't do it. I mean, that ain't that's not good. That ain't right. That's wrong. Anyway, so there you go. Acts 22, 3 connects Shaul to Gamliel, who is connected to Hillel the Great. Shaul, just a couple of things to bring down because many people call Shaul Paul, but his name is not Paul. His name is Saul, which comes from the word Shaul. So really his name is Shaul, but no one ever really talks about that because it's way easier to say Paul the Christian as opposed to Shaul the Christian because it's like, uh, what is Shaul? And it's like, oh, it's just a Hebrew name. It means something amazing, but we don't want to talk about it. I have never really looked this up, so I'm going to right now. Um, so if you'll give me a moment here that uh, I want to look up this name, Saul, Shaul, and see what it means. Shaul, Sheen, Aleph, Vav, Lamed means asked like a question. Akad Sha'alti Me'et Hashem. Uh, and I've asked one thing of Hashem from the Tehillim 27, Psalms 27. So, Shaul is all about asking of Hashem. And it says it comes from the passive principle of Sha'al, which means to inquire. First use of this word is Genesis 2447. Uh, 44 or 24, 47 says, I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Betuel, son of Nahor, whom Milka bore to him. 
So this woman who gets asked this question is the wife of Isaac, the wife of Yitzhak, who is the one called Rivka, and she's the one who gave birth to Yaakov, and Asaph for that matter. So anyway, just going on, it says here that uh, in Acts 13, 9, but Saul, who is also Paul, filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, fixed his gaze on him. So this is interesting. So if we look at that 13.9 passage, let's go ahead and look at the full context here. Acts 13.9. So it says, let's go back to verse 6. It says, When they had gone throughout the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a man who was a magician, a Jewish false prophet. Oh, that's got to be interesting. Whose name was Bar Yeshua, mm, son of Yeshua. This is interesting because in the Talmud, there's apparently this guy named, they say JC, Jesus, uh, in the Talmud, who is a magician. So Acts chapter 13, here he is, Jesus the magician. Anyway, but Bar Yeshua it says he was the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. Or he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Yosef and Shaul, because that's Barnabas and Paul, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for so his name was translated, so this Bar Yeshua person, his name was really Elamus, who was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So now you got this Bar Yeshua person who's saying, I'm a son of Yeshua, but I want to turn you away from Torah. And yet the very people who are used to say they turn people away from Torah, Shaul and Yosef over here, it's like, no, who's really turning who from who? And whose name is really what? You know, so these are things that are never brought up in the whole Paul said shenanigans. Verse 9 in chapter 13. But Shaul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, fixed his gaze on him and said, O oh, you, full of all deceit and trickery, son of the devil, enemy of all righteousness, will you stop or will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? If you read the Midrash Rabbah specifically for the Torah portion of Lech Lecha, it brings down that the paths of the Lord are the commandments, which are all one path, which is called the way. So when Yeshua says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's saying, I am the commandments. So therefore, when you fulfill the commandments of God, you are binding yourself and connecting yourself in communion with Yeshua. So anyway, uh, Shaul here, being filled with Ruach Kodesh, which is the words of Torah, fixes his gaze upon him and brings down a whole dropkick to the face. Going on, Shaul is used uh, in eight one of Acts, where it says Saul was in his was in hearty hearty agreement. Uh, verse three of that same chapter, but Saul began ravaging. The congregation, verse 
or chapter 9, verse 1, now Saul still breathing. Verse 8 of that same chapter, Shaul got up from the ground. Verse 22 of that same chapter, but Shaul kept increasing in strength. Verse tw- or chapter 12, verse 25, and Yosef, Barnabas, and Shaul, okay, there it is again. Chapter 13, verse 1, up with Herod the Tetrarch and Shaul. Verse 13, and chapter, yeah, ch- verse 13, ch- wow, chapter 13, verse 9, but Shaul. So we see 15 occurrences where Shaul is not called Paul. So it's interesting. In Galatians chapter 2, there's this whole thing that Shaul brings down that he had to confront Kepha for being hypocritical. And the sad part about this is this is considered Lashon Harah, so I'm not going to really repeat it. But what I think is interesting is the very thing that Shaul accused Kepha of, he also himself boasted about in 1 Corinthians 9, about, you know, I'm free of... I'm, I am free from all men. I made myself a slave to all so that I might win over more of them to the Jewish people I identified as a Jew so that I might win over the Jewish people to those under the Torah. I became like one under the Torah, though not myself being under Torah so that I might win those under Torah to those outside Torah, like one outside Torah so that I might win over those outside Torah. To the weak, I became weak so that I might win over the weak. I become all things to all men so that by all means possible, I might save some. So it's interesting. Who's really a hypocrite? Because are you really that? Are you really saying, no, I'm I'm not a Jew. And then when you're with people who are Jews, you say, yeah, I'm a Jew. It's like, wait, so you just got on a Kepha and your supposed encounter with him as you brought down in Galatia, but yeah, you're going to boast about it? Clearly, something's off. Then in Acts chapter 22 through chapter 24, Shaul gives the biggest rundown ever on who he is. And then in Acts chapter 21, he basically has the opportunity to fess up whether or not he is teaching the Torah or not. So, yeah, actually 21. But let's go ahead and see this here. Um, There's a part where he gets to Jerusalem and um, the Talmudim are coming up to him saying, oh, we hear you're doing all this stuff, leading people away. So let's go to that real quick. Yeah, it's uh, 2117. When we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters welcomed us gladly. On the next day, Shaul went in with us to Yaakov. And all the elders were present. After greeting them, he reported to them in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his service. And when they heard, they began glorifying God. Okay, just going to point out, 
Yaakov and all the elders, all the brothers and sisters are not going to glorify God if Shaul was teaching people to get rid of the law. Just going to put that out there. Then going on to say, they said, you see, brother, how many myriads there are among the Jewish people who have believed. And they are all, say all, zealous for the Torah. They have been told about you. They teach all the Jewish people among the Gentiles to forsake Moshe, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to the customs, i.e. to observe the oral Torah. What's to be done then? No doubt they will hear that you've come. So do what we tell you. We have four men who have a vow on themselves. Nazarite vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. That way all will realize there is nothing to the things that they have been told about you, but that you yourself walk in an orderly manner, keeping the Torah. As for the Gentiles who believe who have believed, however, we have written a letter by or we have written by letter what we decided for them to abstain from that which is offered to idols, from blood and from what is strangled and from immorality. By the way, two of those laws are food laws, which means they said, Gentiles, y'all need to eat kosher. So if you claim to follow Hashem and you're not eating kosher, you're not following Hashem just on a basic level. So you might want to work on that. But anyway, the next day, so Shaul, without even hesitating, the next day took the men, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, announcing when the days of purification would be completed and the sacrifice would be offered for each of them. By the way, it is not lawful to offer sacrifices at the temple if you have not repented, if you are not in agreement with them. Shaul paying for this uh, ceremony to happen, undergoing this ceremony with them, he is doing a very, very disservice, very big disservice if he is against the law of God in any shape, form, or fashion. And furthermore, the only reason he is doing this besides the advice is to clear his name. So if the name of Shaul cannot be cleared by what is written in Acts chapter 21, 17 through 26, there is nothing that we can do. And so my attempt at doing this is probably futile, but at least there's information that is readily available for people to understand. Shaul says, I'm a Jew. I learned from Gamaliel who learned from Hillel and my name is Shaul and it's not Paul. And I don't teach people to get rid of the law. Kepha even testified about me and said that I teach the same things that the other uh, brothers teach. So we all teach Torah. I'm Jewish. I'm observant. I agree with it. I offered sacrifices in the temple. I'm totally temple service related, even though I believe in the Messiah. I had a great encounter with him. I mean, if that doesn't do it, I don't know what will. So thank you for your time. This is Shomer Man over and out.